America is an amazing country filled with wonderful people who do incredible things. But too often, the media and liberal politicians ignore big parts of our nation and the people who make it work. So I'm speaking with leaders and policymakers who deal with real problems every day. I'm Ronna McDaniel, and this is Real America. Today, I'm going to be speaking with former Navy SEAL Congressman Dan Crenshaw of Texas. We're going to cover everything from the Biden administration's mishandling of the crisis at the border and COVID-19 to the growing threat of big tech censorship. So welcome, Congressman Crenshaw, to my podcast. I don't know if you remember when we first met, but I do. I, I think we were it was in, in Austin. We were in Austin. Yeah, yeah, I remember. That's great. Yeah. You, were, you were just running for mm-hmm. Congress, and I met you at a fundraising event that we mm-hmm. had in Austin where I was born in really? Austin, Texas. So, um, and then you've just been this rock star congressman. So I'm really excited to have you on my Thank podcast. You. Welcome. And you have your own podcast, right? Yep. It's called Hold These Truths. It's and Hold it's, These it's Truths. It's a new thing, man. Any everybody's, tips? Everybody's Any got tips for me? Because I'm kind of new to the podcast well, world. You've, you've, you've got the setup. I've pretty, got the setup, right? Well like, what, what are your, like, what are the pro tips of the podcast? Um, geez, you know, we've been figuring this out for a while and you've got all the equipment stuff. That's, okay, that's, that's the hardest good. thing yeah, to do that's is, the, is, is the, the production. Um, the, 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 the next hardest thing is, is, is keeping it interesting with guests. So we're constant. I always do it with guests. Yeah, uh, yeah. It seems like the way you do it. I do and, too. and so I'm always looking for, for somebody with something interesting to say. And you're obviously failing at that because I don't have many things <laughs> interesting to say. I think at you're all. so interesting. <laughs> I'm actually really excited to talk to you because there are so many things to discuss, but I do want to like make sure our, our viewers and our listeners get to know you a yeah. little bit better. The beauty of podcasts is that you can have these long form discussions and actually make a point that's a little longer than, you know, 240 characters. Than a 20 minute, 22 right. minute soundbite no, on a TV show where you really exactly. don't get to know somebody. So, um, were you born in Texas? Is that where you grew up? <laughs> no, well, I, I definitely grew up there. I'm actually, six, six you were all over the Texans. place. Yeah. Because you were, your dad was oil and gas, right? Yeah, I was an oil and so gas. You in grew Houston, up yeah. all over the world, Columbia. All over the place. Yeah, I was so, actually born in Scotland. You were born in Scotland. Yeah. yeah I was, I was Do you remember <laughs> living in all these different places? Uh, no, I, I have no memories of Scotland or Egypt. Uh, okay. Well, my, my first memories are in Houston. So we moved to Houston when I was pretty young. Um, and my entire life was moving from overseas back to Houston. Houston's okay. always our home base. Uh, my, my dad's side of the family's been in Texas for six generations. And yeah, my uh, mom what and dad. What perspective just, did that give you going overseas and then coming back to America and seeing well different countries? Well, my, my high school experience is probably the most um, interesting experience because it was all four years uh, in Bogota, Colombia. And geez, what perspective? I mean, it, it makes you appreciate what we have here. Yeah. There's so many other countries around the world that are are constantly on the edge of complete destruction. And I know we act like we're on that edge all the time, but we're very far from it. Very um, you know, in, in the grand scheme of human history and, 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 and world politics, we're a very, very stable country. Um, our politics is certainly vitriolic and overwrought and, and full of exaggerations. But in reality, we should be grateful that America is still the greatest place on earth to be. And you certainly understand that if you've grown up abroad like I have. Um, helps you understand other cultures, helps you understand other people. I mean, my, my, about 100, just over 100 people in my class, uh, none of which were American. 
at least really? all four years in, yes. in high school. In all high four school, years. yeah. A cu- couple of Americans came in and out, but it was also dangerous back then. It was 1998 to 2002. There was bombs going off, war going on. It was, um, it was our car got shot through once, so then we had to exchange it for an armored vehicle. It Were was, you uh, in the car when it got no, shot through? Okay, thank goodness. Was yeah, it was. Uh, That's it was really scary. My sister in law is from um, Bogota, really? Colombia, too. So yeah. well, one day I'll have to connect you guys. You got to go. I don't know if you've ever been. She it's, loves it's still it. A cool place she to visit. She talks about yeah. how beautiful it is all the time. So you graduate high school and then you, how do you end up joining the Navy? So I always wanted to be a SEAL. Okay. Um, since I was a, since I was a kid, really, I'm not sure what, what age I was, maybe 12 when I read Dick Marcinko's Rogue Warrior. Okay. God bless him. He just, he, um, he just passed. Oh. Uh, he was uh, the founder of SEAL Team 6, just a real burly guy, wrote a bunch of books um, in the, I guess, 80s and 90s. And a lot of current SEALs read those books. It's what got us into the SEAL teams. It, it's hard to make it through BUDS unless you've always wanted to do that. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's not something you wake up one day and you're like, you know, I'm a pretty good, I'm pretty, pretty good shape. I can just do this. No, you, you need to, you need to believe that this is your destiny okay. and you need to not give yourself a choice about it, about it. And so, um, I always wanted to do that. All my, all my actions were, were geared towards that goal. Um, went to college. I, I wanted to go to college. I wanted to be an officer in the SEAL teams because I wanted the college degree as well. So I did ROTC. Okay. And um, immediately went to BUDS right after college. And then you had three deployments. Mm-hmm. And then was it in your third deployment that your life changed forever? So talk mm-hmm. about that day and that experience a yeah. little bit. So my first two deployments were to Iraq. My third was to Afghanistan. And uh, obviously the most kinetic deployment that we were that we were on. And um about six months into that deployment, I think we'd uh, we were on a, a very a very unique mission, at least for us, because we had operated in Kandahar province. Okay, and we would we would take helicopters all over the place. We were uh, our partner force was 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 one of the top tier for Afghanistan, and so we would take them all over the all over Kandahar and do operations against Taliban forces um, throughout. This particular day, we went to Helmand because. Um, uh, Higher ups wanted to keep a presence there. Um, there's there's a lot of policy discussions we could go into about okay. how how we get things wrong sometimes okay. from a deeper policy perspective because they wanted us to do things that we really had no business doing um, that were an excessive risk to force. That's a deeper policy discussion. It also informs my understanding of of policy up here. That brings that right because I can that see experience into literally how it yeah. how it manifests on the ground. Um, you know, and so. We, uh, we, we come in, um, we high five with the Marines who were there because they're like, they were out of batteries. They were out of ammo. A couple of them had been shot and, uh, it was, they, they needed to go. They'd been there for a couple of days. So now is our turn to just hold the area for a couple of days. And, um, ended up leaving a lot sooner than that. And I left sooner than anybody because a few hours into that op, as we we're moving along, um, one of our interpreters stepped on an IED right in front of me. Oh no! And he he, he later died. He was he lost all four limbs right away. It oh, was my it was a particularly large one, and um, also packed in very very hard rocky ground, which makes it far more devastating. It was packed with metal. I know that because I you know, they extracted bolts and screws out of my hands, um, and it hit me and blinded me right away. I remember the whole thing. I, I was do remember it. Yeah, all. I wasn't unconscious, and I got up, walked to the medevac helicopter and then they put me out for five days after oh, that goodness. so um i didn't know i was blind like okay. i i didn't I, I thought i had dirt in my eyes to be okay. perfectly honest and maybe that you was thought a, it would go away 
Yeah, I mean, maybe that was just a coping mechanism. I mean, you don't want to believe the worst. Um, and they didn't hurt. So, you know, because my face was numb. Everything else hurt real bad, but okay. my face was numb. That's crazy. It didn't, didn't hurt. Uh, and then I woke up, learned the truth. And I think that's really honestly where the nightmare started because I was, couldn't see for a long time. Um, you're blind, you're in pain, you're hallucinating. Um, if, you know, if you, if, you black, if you put like a blackout mask on for a couple mm -hmm. days, you will sort of start to hallucinate. Like you'll start to, your, your mind will create images of where it thinks your, your kitchen. Thinks you're seeing yeah, things. Yeah, like if, you, if you're in a familiar place, especially like your okay. home, you'll start to see your table in front of you. But it's not quite there. It's not quite right. It's really odd. And, and, you can, and you can actually, you can imagine in much more detail than you normally can. If that makes sense. That and makes it, a lot of it sense. It becomes actually. an interesting experience. You should try it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to be wearing a blackout. But that's really crazy. But I think the thing I didn't know about you is that you went through that and then you went back for two mm -hmm. more tours after you healed. So what what was the road back to being deployed again? Well, it was rocky, so to speak, um, because I wanted to go back to a platoon. And I was, it was unreasonable okay. at the time. I was, I asked them, you know, what kind of surgery do I need to, to make me 100% again? As if there's just fixes to this yes. thing. Like it's a car that you can just kind of put back together. And the doctors would, they humored me for a while and eventually just said, no, like we're not. So because the fundamentally what's wrong with my good eye is, is that it, it doesn't have a lens in it. So I have a permanent cataract. Okay. Um, I'm looking at you right now because I have a really big contact. In okay. That you can kind of see. It's a very specialized contact. It, it gives me great vision, but it is a contact. And without it, I'm, I can't, can't see, see anything. Um, oh, wow. And it doesn't allow me to see up close either. Any glasses to see up close. You know, it's a kind of a single focal contact. And you and people with cataracts, they, they usually get lens implants. You see older older folks with, yeah. with you know, and they see yeah. that kind of shiny object yep. in there. That's, that's what that is. Okay. That's easy to do if your eye hasn't been blown up before. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, but mine has, and so it's very hard to do and wouldn't give me perfect vision anyway. And so I was trying to get that done, um, I mean, within weeks of my, my injury. And the doctors thankfully just said, no, you need to, we're absolutely not going to operate heal. on you. Yeah. And um, so I got used to the contacts. I went back to their our shooting courses, um, got good shooting left-handed. I shoot, I'm right-handed, of course, and uh, which is hard to shoot rifle right-handed. I never even thought right about eye. that, so you had to switch. Yeah, so I, I shoot rifle left-handed now. I still shoot my pistol with my right hand. And um, I got good at that. I, I wanted to go through all the things and get a waiver to operate again, and the Navy was just not having it. If you're in the Army or Marine Corps, you have a little bit better time with okay. injured guys going back. Um, the, the Navy is much more difficult. It's it's not used to combat yeah. because it's it's going through a Navy bureaucracy. So they don't understand the implications, I think. And um, and, and, and to be honest, if, I, if I'm being honest, n knowing what my condition is and kind of being taking a step back from it now. You get it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I get it. Like, I, I can't see at night the way I used to be able to. It's, there's but you a, did there's, go back. I did go back with an intelligence role. So okay, I, found, okay. I found a different okay. route for myself. Um, people don't realize that special operations, almost half of what we do is preparation of the environment. And that's about all I can that say about that. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> but it, no, I mean, tell me more. No. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of intelligence roles um, okay. that, that we operate in. And um, those will probably be more prevalent as we get away from the, the war on terror as well. Um, and that became sort of my area of expertise for the latter half of my career. I went to Bahrain, Lebanon, Oman, 
Korea and um, was able to keep I just think, I think you're amazing. So thank you for your service. I just think what you've done is amazing. And then you come back, I think it was 2016, you came back and you decide, hey, I'm going to run for Congress. Yep. And what caused that to happen? What made you go there? Yeah. Well, as you can see from my life, I'm a a bit of a masochist (laughs) (laughs) looking for punishment in all angles. Um, so I was, I was honestly, I was forced out of the Navy in 2016 okay. because we, we could not deploy me anymore. Like, yeah. We were, we were using loopholes to deploy. Okay. Me, right. We were, because you were, you basically, it was deployed administratively and it, we just couldn't keep it going. I, I couldn't have a career that way. So we, I had to leave. Um, and I was medically retired and I went to Harvard to do my degree in public policy. And, um, uh, I was not planning on running for Congress. It wasn't even in the cards. We, we and my wife maybe talked about elected office one day, but I was looking at behind the scenes policy. That's what I wanted to get into. And then all of a sudden, my hometown congressman announces retirement, and I happen to be in a meeting with somebody who points that out and just says, "You should go do it." And you know, we know consultants down there. You can maybe hire and get it going. And and it just happened overnight. I moved into my parents' game room. Um, which that only lasted for like a month, but there was, <laughs> and you have really been one of the most out front congressmen, I think in our party, you've just been so vocal and so strong on so many issues. I'm going to go through a, a couple of them real quick. One, your Texas second district, um, you are on the front lines of seeing what's happening in your state with the border. What is going on with Joe Biden in this administration that they are not addressing the huge crisis at the border, not just the influx of people coming in, but the uh, the other factors that are part of it, which are the huge opioid problem that we're having with drugs coming across the border. Uh, what do you think? Why, why don't they listen to you? I know you've been very vocal on this, on this huge issue. Because it's deliberate. Yes. That's, I think that's the short answer. This isn't incompetence. It's, it's a de- deliberate act on our country. And this is why I call for the impeachment of Mayorkas. So at least let's start there. Okay. You know? I like it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it, it, because they're deliberately breaking the law. You know, I, I don't, and I'm not somebody to throw things out lightly. No, you I, don't. I, I, you know, you I, are I, not that person. Easy, it's easy to throw out red meat and just get people riled up. I, that's not me. I'm very deliberate in how I look at these things. And I think the first step is impeachment of, of uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, Mike Yorkas, because he has direct oversight of this problem. Um, but Biden's, of course, at fault, too. We should go there next, I think. Um, and why do, I, why do I say this is impeachable? It's because you're, you're, you're you're, de- you're deliberately refusing to execute the laws of the land, okay? And that, that's very specific in the Constitution. It says this, it's the executive branch to execute the laws. Exactly. That's the point. And you're deliberately not doing that. Um, and, and of course, it's intentional. Why would, now, why would they even do this intentionally? I, I think they they believe that they will derive political benefit from this in the I long believe run. that too. I don't think that's true. I also that's, agree. So, so that's the good news. But it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it okay. And because they are trying to do this, there's more and more cities and localities, left-leaning, of course, that want non-citizens to vote. They're always looking for ways to just like bring these people in because they know how difficult it is. to. There's a million people um, since Biden's presidency started, about a million that have probably been let loose into the United States and told, hey, return someday, you know, for your court and, you know, then we'll adjudicate your case. So you the way to solve this is actually really simple. The Trump administration figured it out. It's um, walls are important, but those are security measures. Mm-hmm. A very different problem set. It's the Remain in Mexico it's policy. The Remain in Mexico yeah. policy. It's the it's it's fundamentally it's adjudication. Yeah, okay, you need to adjudicate the the asylum claims or the illegal crossings, whatever the case is. Adjudicate it fast. Get a quick deportation, 
and move on. People will stop coming if you do that. They are only coming because of the catch and release. And for people who aren't in Texas and aren't seeing this every day, what is it like for your Border Patrol agents, for people on these border towns? What are they dealing with? Just give us a little bit yeah. of a picture of that. Well, for the Border Patrol agents, it's it's absolute hell. I mean, so, so you join the Border Patrol and you think, okay, I'm going to be like in the bushes waiting to see somebody trying to sneak by. And it's kind of fun and exciting. And you're like catching bad guys and catching drug traffickers. This is how somebody thinks about joining the Border Patrol. Instead, what they're doing is they go to a, a pickup spot and they have to just wait there for the caravans to come. And because people aren't trying to get away. No. Going to Border Patrol is part of the process for them because they know that if they do that, well, then they get bus tickets, plane tickets. They get actually get to start moving to where they want to be. So it... You will find cases of people Ubering to a Border Patrol station to turn oh themselves goodness. in because it is indeed part of the process. It's so broken the system is. Like, they're not even trying to get away. And so our Border Patrol agents have turned into just processing agents. They're, they're babysitters. They're bus drivers. They're certainly not um, patrolling the border in any real sense. And this is how all the drugs get through. Because they're coming. Right. Yeah, the drugs aren't coming through through these people turning no, themselves no. in. They, they just, that's how the drug They're the distraction. Distract. Yep. Yep. And the drug cartels make a ton of money on both cases because they charge a, a piso, which is a, like a fee for each person going across. Could be about three hundred bucks is, is about normal. So that's that that turns into hundreds of millions of dollars pretty quickly for the drug cartels, and they have zero risk associated with this. So great deal for them. Look, we the Trump administration did a good job working with Mexico. That's I'm actually traveling to Mexico um, in March for okay. this exact reason. For like, look what. What levers can we pull? Because our administration doesn't seem to want to pull them, but, you know, let's let's at least start that conversation. I agree with you that it's intentional. I think it's deliberate. That's why the RNC just sued in New York for them allowing 900,000 non-citizens to vote. We're going to see this in more municipalities. I also agree with you that it's not a guarantee that these people coming mm -hmm. um, through are going to be voting Democrat. Yeah. Uh, you've been on the forefront of some other key issues. COVID-19, you've been very vocal with the Trump, with the Biden administration and their failure on the testing and the concern with vaccine mandates, where do you stand right now with them and how bad it has been under the Biden administration? It's been bad because the left in general is obsessed with vaccines and to the detriment of therapeutics. Correct. And this is such a strange thing. We just don't. We have never dealt with any other problem the way. The, and this is the human race. When I say we, I mean the human race. We've actually had it pretty good in America. <laughs> yeah. Compared to, I mean, look at Australia. Yeah. And I mean, European countries locking down. They have so many more mandates, even than, even than we do in very liberal places. Um, although DC just put this awful. Yeah, DC is pretty bad. On. Yeah. Um, but uh, but DC for a good year was pretty good, mm -hmm. uh, pretty open. Didn't didn't worry about it. I don't know why this sudden lurch to the to the extreme, but the, the, to the detriment of therapeutics is a really important point because look, if, when you get sick, you there, if there's therapies for it, you don't need to worry as much. Exactly, <laughs> right? we didn't have those therapies really set in initially. But this has been a long theme of the left where they where they. Where they, where they try to downplay or not just downplay, but outright censor anybody who wants to talk about ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. And look, these are, these are safe products. Are they effective? The jury might still be out, but they're certainly safe. You know, and the fact that we can't even have that conversation is nuts. Um, and a vaccine-only approach has been, has been an utter fail failure. A complete failure. The mandates don't work. There's plenty of studies on this. Well, especially when you have a vaccine mandate approach, but then you don't have the testing 
for people to go back to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so y- you're either vaccine yeah. mandated or you have to have tests to go back to work, and then you can't even get a test. It's like they dismantled all of the Trump administration's actions. They really did. On, on because the Trump administration had to do a lot with respect to testing and getting therapeutics out. We're having a monoclonal antibodies crisis right Regeneron, now. Regeneron, yeah. remdesivir. I mean, the thing that's so interesting is. It's a failure, and the media really hasn't caught on to it yet, but there are people who were laid off from some of these testing companies mm-hmm. to the tune of hundreds of, of workers, and that's why we didn't have the testing we needed right. going into the holidays, and they're still playing catch-up when they were given a really strong infrastructure mm-hmm. from the Trump administration. So right. I'm glad you've been so vocal on that front because it really is such an overreach by this administration and a failure on the therapeutic front. But I think you hit something else, which is you're not allowed to talk about anything. You're not allowed to say, let's look at the origins. Let's look at Wuhan. Let's make sure we understand what happened. And you're very vocal on big tech censorship Mm -hmm. because big tech, if you are not in lockstep with the Democrats, they are going to cancel you, pull you off, deplatform you. What do we do about big tech? People ask me this all the time. What can we do about the bias of big tech? So a lot of ideas get thrown out. One is break them apart. That's yeah. more punitive. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard for me to see how that changes censorship at all. It's not as if uh, Google breaks up into four different pieces that the new CEOs will just be, you know, freedom Suddenly loving. Suddenly great, yeah. yeah. Freedom of speech loving people. I don't know why for bad anyone companies. would believe that. Yeah. Um, you know, the the, the real... The real issue is there's a couple issues I think are worth tackling. One is uh, taking a scalpel to Section 230. Um, One of the bills that I support or we're going to introduce as as we we're still going through some of the the um, intricacies of of getting the legislation right. But on energy and commerce, we have a whole series of bills that tackle this problem. Mine in particular adds an element to Section 230 that says that political speech um, is indeed protected and that you're not free from liability uh, when it comes to censoring political speech. Okay. So it's a very small change because there's talk about abolishing Section 230. If you do that, I think every expert who looks at this thinks you probably end up with a complete censorship because now you've given the social media companies a binary But you're choice. looking at just nuancing the language you've and got, change You've got to change some of the language. And there's other bills, too, that would change other parts I think there's such an appetite for that. But, of course, we can't do anything until we no. win back the House yeah. and win back the Senate. and you have been one of the best champions of campaigning for House members. Can we talk about the ad for a minute? Hmm. I, people won't, I can't show the ad, but the ad you did this, what was it? Texas Mission Reloaded. Impossible, yeah. the Texas Reloaded in 2020. When we picked up 15 House seats, you took the charge in Texas and really highlighted some great members that were running for the House and you created the best ad. Can you talk about how you came up with it? Maybe give a little preview of the concept of the ad. Sure. And I think a lot of those candidates won that were featured in your ad. Yep. Yep. We got a new one coming out here very shortly. Oh, do uh, you really? Yeah. Oh, there's a yeah. sequel. Yep. Okay. Yeah, Texas Reloaded too. Um, fewer candidates, but uh, it's primary season. So yeah. it's just it's just that. We're excited about it. It's Well, I'm not sure how the idea came up, uh, to be honest. I think I just wanted a a unique ad that was entertaining in nature. It was that, so entertaining. That, I loved it. And, and that was also kind of apolitical. Yeah. So people could love it without being a Republican or Democrat because it wasn't about being a Republican or yeah. Democrat. It was just about it was just about showcasing really cool people. And in a way that was really compelling with with, you know, movie quality uh, kind of production. 
and it obviously bid really well. Um, and the entire, and it was also using a model that is, is, has become really prevalent, but nobody's really taken advantage of it, which is fundraising with, um, with viral ads that yeah. are just on social media. So you're not even putting it on TV because, you know, we, we got, uh, we got lambasted by a bunch of kind of typical establishment consultants this is why we don't really hire a lot of consultants. Um, but they were, they were telling us, Oh, it was just the biggest waste of money we've ever seen. And it's like, yeah, it's a more expensive ad than any other ad, but it also raised 30 X for, yep. for it. And cost. people watch, everybody was watching this. And that money goes directly into those candidates campaigns. It's direct money. Uh, that's an important note too. Because it's, it's not going into a consultant, right? It doesn't go to, doesn't go to anybody. Doesn't that's go to so a pack, important. Doesn't go to anybody. It goes that's so important. And so campaign. what's your plan to go out and help win back the house, because I know you're out there raising money and helping candidates across the mm -hmm. country. How excited are you about the prospect of taking back majority? It's, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting. I've never known what the majority is like. I hear it's better. <laughs> I think it's much, much better <laughs> yeah. to have the ability to set the agenda. Uh, yeah. Are you going to be on the trail a ton and doing I, things? I think so. Yeah, we're going to see. We're going to make sure. Uh, I'm focused on Texas right now for Morgan Luttrell and Wesley Hunt. I want those guys to win. Um, and then we'll look at the generals around the country. We might do an America Reloaded. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Love We're going to make it a comedy this time. I okay. Think. I want to <laughs> be an America Reloaded. Okay. okay? You're right. just going to have like a little RNC chair cameo. We could have a cameo. So one fun fact I found out about you that I didn't realize, but it makes sense now when you say you lived in Colombia for four years, but you speak Spanish fluently. Mm -hmm. um, do you still speak it really well? I mean, have you kept your skills up on no, that? Not, not really. <laughs> Not really. Say, really well. Really well is, of course, subjective and, and compared to the question is compared to who. I've never been a native speaker by any stretch, but yeah, I certainly still That's see. That's a I fun can, fact. I still do interviews. So we've seen so much growth with Hispanic voters and the Republican Party. Uh, are you seeing that in your state as you're traveling? And what do you think that is that's bringing uh, Latino voters into our party for the first time? Yeah, it's a great, great question and, and one that we probably need to analyze more yep. um, because there's been a massive swing. I think Hispanic voters are just normal people. I, th I, th I think that's the simple answer. They're just normal people, but we, for some reason, we just label anybody with an Hispanic surname as Hispanic voters, which means they're a block of people, but they're just not, and they never really have been. And I think they're sick of being treated that way, and Republicans don't treat them that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Democrats certainly do, and they keep calling them Latinx, which is just annoying. Ridiculous, to, yeah. To, to, you know, Hispanics. And um, the, in Texas in particular, the, 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 the you know, it's predominantly Hispanic in the southern, uh, you know, around the border counties. And um, I think that's primarily because of the border. Like their switch to Republican is primarily because of the border issue. And um, we've, we've got to make sure that, that what we're doing still speaks to those people. And I think it is. I think we just have to be ourselves and explain who we are better. And then when we get, when we get the reins of power, we need to govern well. So I'm looking forward to being in the majority. I am so appreciative of you and your hard work and everything you're doing, your service to our country in the military, but also your service to our country now in Congress. And thank you so much for being part of my podcast. Thanks, Ronna. It's great Thanks, to be Dan. With you. Good to see you. I'm Ronna McDaniel, and this is what Republicans stand for. Join us next time on Real America. Paid for by the Republican National Committee, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. www.gop.com.